Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about some things that need to be addressed fairly urgently if you're going to do them. So we are at the end of 2020 as this is being recorded and released. And there's some end of year tax planning points. I'm going through with a lot of clients and I thought it would be great to do an episode on so that you could check your financial situation to see if any of these things apply to you. So real quick, some background. And by the way, if you're listening to this, if you want a summary of all this, if you want just a a quick PDF that outlines exactly what we're going to be talking about and gives you a little bit of context around it, go to the Ready for Retirement website. That's readyforretirement.co. Select this podcast page in the show notes. You'll be able to download that. So just a quick FYI, if you want a quick place to be able to access all this, you can find that there. With that, let's jump in and let's actually take a big step back and and see what's happened over the past two years that creates a favorable tax climate in a lot of ways for some good tax planning to be done. So at the end of 2017, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, TCJA, that passed. That's the tax law passed under President Trump. And then at the end of 2019, the SECURE Act passed. Now, what this did is both of those had fairly significant impacts on how people are taxed. And most Americans are going to end up paying less in taxes under the current tax brackets and based upon some of these acts that were passed. Two things to note, though. These tax rates, if nothing happens, they are set to expire in 2025. However, they could very easily disappear sooner based upon what a new administration looks to do and based upon new legislation that could pass. So number one, these tax brackets that we have now are very low compared to where they have been historically. And number two, They will certainly disappear in 2025 and tax rates will increase, if not potentially sooner, under a new administration. Now, number two, the second thing to note with this is the tax brackets and tax thresholds were reduced and and on average between three to four percent. But one sneaky way that the government is counting on new revenue coming in and revenue increasing over time is the thresholds and the different points at which you go into a new tax bracket those don't increase as much as inflation will, most likely over the coming years. Meaning if you have a regular salary increase, even if it's just an increase based upon a cost of living adjustment, so going up with inflation, you will still slowly but surely and gradually creep into higher and higher tax brackets because many of the tax brackets that are in place today are not set to increase with inflation in the same way that your salary might. So this creates a golden opportunity for people who are doing some strategic tax planning to be able to take a look at their tax situation, see where they stand today, see how that compares to where they will likely be in the future, and then make some good decisions based on that. So with that being said, I want to go over six tax saving opportunities that may or may not apply to you, but certainly important to review. Number one has to do with a standard deduction. Prior to the new tax law that was passed in 2017, standard deductions were a lot lower. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of people, a lot more people itemized at that time. So when you go to file your taxes, you can either take the standard deduction, which in this year in 2020, if you are single, it's 12,400. If you are married, filing jointly, it is double that. So 24,800. If you're 65 or older, there's some additional amounts that you can add onto that. But the standard deductions are higher, which means fewer people are itemizing. And what you do when you itemize is you add up things like mortgage interest paid state taxes paid, charitable gifts given, 
other things like that. And if those numbers exceed the standard deduction, then you itemize, you itemize your deductions. If those numbers are less than the standard deduction, then you simply take that standard deduction. So with the increase in standard deduction, you naturally get a lot fewer people that are taking it. So there's some interesting things that you can do to plan for that. Number one is you can bunch some of your itemized deductions. So some things like mortgage interest, for example, the bank's not going to work with you to let you know when can you pay mortgage interest and when can you not pay it. They're going to expect that every single year. But other things, maybe it's charitable giving, maybe it's medical expenses, maybe it's things like that. If you can bunch those as much as possible, that might for you up to use a standard deduction in some years. And then in other years, itemize your deduction for an even greater deduction. So for example, maybe you're giving to charity. And let's say every year you're giving $5,000 to charity. And let's assume that if you itemize all of your deductions, so if you add up your mortgage interest, your charitable giving, your state taxes paid, and, you're, and let's assume that you're married, let's assume that all comes out to exactly $24,800. Well, in that case, the charitable giving you did, it really didn't save you anything on taxes. Because you could have just as easily taken the standard deduction and got the same exact $24,800 deduction as you would have if you had itemized and you itemized because you added up your charitable giving with your taxes paid and with your mortgage interest. So what if instead of doing that, what if you gave your charitable deductions every other year? Well, what that means is that in one year, you would take your standard deduction, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't give anything. You would set that money aside, maybe in a separate account. And the following year, you would give double the amount. So your charitable giving would double to 10,000 that year. Well, what that means for you is that in that year where you double your charitable giving, you can now itemize your deductions in that year. So you can write off more in that year. And it doesn't mean that you write off any less in the other years. It just means that you take the standard deduction in those other years and get the same exact deduction as you otherwise would have gotten. So that's just one example of let's use the higher standard deduction to your benefit. It's great that the amount is higher. It means everyone, regardless of income, can write off more against their taxes but it does prevent people from itemizing as much as they once did. So if you can shift things around and still itemize above and beyond the standard deduction, that's one opportunity that I see a lot of people able to take advantage of to help to lower their taxes. Number two, can you prepay some of your medical expenses? So this very much has to do with what we just talked about in itemizing your deductions. One of the deductions that you can itemize is medical expenses, but not just any medical expenses. It's medical expenses that exceed seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income. So for example, if your adjusted gross income is $100,000 and if you have medical expenses in excess of $7,500, then whatever that excess amount is, that is deductible. To take advantage of this, you really need to know what are the expenses that qualify. And it's really, it's a surprising amount of expenses that qualify. This could be unreimbursed doctor fees. This could be long-term care premiums, certain Medicare plans, home modifications in some cases. This can be preventative care, treatment, surgeries, dental and vision care. You can deduct visits to psychologists and psychiatrists. You can deduct prescription medication. You can also deduct things like glasses, contacts, false teeth, hearing aids. There really is quite a long list. So if you look at that and say, oh, well, I don't have any major medical expenses this year. It might be hard to exceed the 7.5% adjusted gross income threshold, potentially, but add up everything that you're paying. You know, if you're paying long-term care premiums, there's a good chance that those are pretty significant premiums. If on top of that, you maybe have contact lenses, and maybe if you see a psychologist, and maybe you have just regular preventative care or treatment, well, that can quickly add up in a hurry. 
So as you're looking at this, maybe you're coming close to that seven and a half percent threshold, and maybe you know that you need a large procedure or a surgery or something of that nature, if possible. And, and again, don't don't push health boundaries just for this reason alone. But if you can try to group those into one year, so is there a surgery that you know you that you need, or is there a medical expense that you know you need to pay for? Can you pay for it now in this year potentially, or group those all in one year as much as possible? so that you can exceed that threshold and take the deduction. Whereas if you just spread those expenses out, maybe you wouldn't be able to take that deduction because it wouldn't ever cross the 7.5% threshold. So option number two or item number two that we're talking about here is prepay your medical expenses. Option number three is if you are 70 and a half or older, consider giving money to your favorite charity right from your IRA. So the SECURE Act which was passed in 2019, that changed the age at which your required minimum distributions must start. It used to be age 70 and a half, and that pushed it to age 72. Before this change happened, you had the option of giving what's called a qualified charitable distribution. And it's where instead of taking your IRA required minimum distribution and having that be taxable to you, you could simply send it to your favorite charity of choice. What that did is that number was just never reported on your income. So even if you didn't itemize your deductions, you still essentially got the deduction for it just by nature of not having to report that income coming directly from your IRA. So when the SECURE Act was passed at the end of last year, it pushed the required minimum distribution begin date to age 72, but it actually kept the age at which you're eligible for a qualified charitable distribution, a QCD, it kept that at age 70 and a half. So even if you're not quite 72 yet, but you're in that threshold of 70 and a half or 71, and if you have charities that you want to give to and you don't give enough to itemize your deductions or it just doesn't make sense to itemize your deductions, it might make a lot of sense for you just to give that gift directly from your IRA, have it sent to the charity, sent to the church, sent to whatever you want it to be sent to, as opposed to taking that distribution, paying taxes on it, and then giving the gift instead. So that's option number three. Option number four, and this is a big one, and this is where there's a lot of planning opportunities, especially in a year like this, it is to lower your future taxable income with a Roth conversion. Now, 2020 has thrown a lot of wrenches and a lot of plans this year. And for a lot of people, income is just not what they thought it would be. Maybe they lost a job or income dropped. Or for whatever reason, if your income isn't as high as you thought it would be, and maybe you're in a much lower tax bracket this year than you will be in likely for many years, maybe ever again, this could be a great year to do a Roth conversion. When you do a Roth conversion, you're taking pre-tax money, so money that's maybe an IRA or 401k, and you are converting that to a Roth IRA. The benefit is any money that's in the Roth IRA, you will never pay taxes on again. Whereas if that money had stayed in the IRA, then whenever you take that out in retirement or in the future, that money is fully taxable. So if you look at this and, and do the analysis of when does it make most sense, well, you want to convert or you want to get money into after-tax accounts in years where you have lower taxable income. 2020 could be a great candidate for that type of year for two reasons. Number one, a lot of people's income is lower than it has been traditionally or historically just because of things happening with jobs and, and the economy as a whole. And number two, tax brackets are very low compared to where they have been and compared to where they will be going in 2025, if not sooner. So it creates that perfect scenario to at least consider a Roth conversion. I'm saying, can you convert maybe not the whole amount of your IRA to a Roth IRA? You want to be smart about this. But can you convert enough to maybe fill up the tax bracket that you're in, or maybe even fill up the tax bracket above you? Because in doing so, you know that you are converting at one tax bracket, and yes, you have to pay taxes today, 
but it could potentially save you a significant amount from having to take those funds out at a later date. Instead, when your income is higher and tax brackets are higher, creating a much higher tax bracket total that you would have to take funds from. So this is one of those areas that you absolutely should talk with your CPA, talk with your trusted financial planner, make sure that you are going through the numbers because taxes, the conversion could impact many different areas of your taxes. It could impact social security taxation. It could impact how much you pay in Medicare premiums. It could impact the capital gains tax rate that you're paying. So there's so much that's that goes into this that you do want to make sure you are looking at it correctly. But if done right, it could save you tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, in taxes over the course of your retirement. All right. The fifth potential area for tax savings is review how you're paying your investment fees. If you're working with a financial planner or you're working with a brokerage firm and they're helping you to manage your investments and do your planning, you're going to be paying a fee for that. And now that fee in the past, it used to be deductible. And so what that meant is you ideally were paying that fee from a non-IRA account or a Roth IRA, or non-Roth IRA account because you wanted that fee to be paid from a brokerage account because that was the way that it needed to be structured so that you could deduct it. Well, you can no longer deduct investment fees. You can no longer deduct things like tax preparation fees like you could in the past, or at least there's certain restrictions on that. So what you want to do instead is you want to structure it to see, can it at least be tax deductible? You know, can you ensure the fee is coming from the account that can be deducted if it's from a pre-tax account as opposed to taking the fee from a brokerage account or a taxable account like you might have in the past? So if you're paying those fees, you can no longer deduct them like you could in the past, but there are still ways to pay those fees with pre-tax dollars. And in many senses, that's at least similar to being able to deduct the fees. So making sure that that's the case, that's why me personally and my firm personally, we run the numbers with clients just to potentially maximize their after-tax return on their investments, including things like fees and how those are deducted. And just make sure that you're doing that with your investment accounts as well. And then finally, number six, make sure that you're optimizing your retirement contributions. This has to do with as you're saving for retirement, are you saving in the right place? You know, a lot of people, they have a 401k through work, so they just assume that the 401k is the best place to save too. Well, with the CARES Act that was implemented this year and with income looking wonky for so many people and so many different things going on, take a look at all of your options between your 401k, Roth IRA, brokerage accounts, other options, health savings accounts, just to see what makes most sense. Now, if, for example, if your income did take a significant hit this year, maybe you don't need to max out your pre-tax 401k because those deductions just won't go as far as they would have when you were in a much higher tax bracket if income dropped significantly because of, of COVID shutdowns or employment changes or things like that. So make sure that you do in a review. This is good to do at the end of every year, not just 2020, but ensure that your money is going to the right places. And in some cases, depending on how close you are to retirement and what your overall financial picture looks like, you might be better off splitting contributions between retirement accounts. So some 401k, some Roth, some alternatives to make sure that you're going with diversified types of accounts in retirement. Or you may be even better off diverting contributions elsewhere to reduce debt. Do you pay off mortgage interest if that's no longer deductible because your mortgage balance is lower and you're under the, the itemized deduction threshold? Are there other things you should focus more on other than saving and investing to more investment accounts? So these are just the types of things that make sense to check on, run the numbers, and see if there's any alternatives because we can get stuck in our way of doing things. And if our way of doing things is great, then there's no problem with that. Keep doing it. But it doesn't hurt to check and see if a tweak here or a tweak there might make some really significant changes over time. So those are some six areas I like to look at for, for tax planning year-end, especially in year-end for 2020 additional what I'll call just special COVID-19 considerations that could affect you as well. So number one, the stimulus check. So if you got the stimulus check, number one, just know that that's not 
taxable. It's technically a refund or an advanced refund of a 2020 tax credit. So what that means for you, if you receive that, great. Don't need to worry about taxes on that. It's not taxable. If you did not receive it and you are eligible for it, then keep in mind that because that's technically an advanced refund of 2020 tax credit, this is something that will show up on your taxes when you do file for 2020. So you will end up getting that credit even if you've not actually received a physical check or direct deposit from that yet. Number two, 529 plan refunds. If you are paying for college for a child or helping with a grandchild's college, if you withdrew money from a 529 plan to pay for a college expense and that expense was then refunded because colleges look different or they changed tuition or just your child or grandchild decided against going, you'll want to return that money to the 529 plan as a re-contribution within 60 days of the refund. And that ensures that it's not taxed or penalized as what would be considered a non-qualified distribution, which is just any distribution you take from a 529 plan that's not used for qualified education expenses. If it's too late for that, if that 60-day window's already passed, think about using those funds for maybe other qualified educational expenses. Maybe it's computers, maybe it's internet stuff, maybe it is books, just anything that you could potentially qualify as a qualified education expense, even if it's not necessarily tuition. So that's something that doesn't typically come up, but in a year like this where college looks so different for so many people, it is happening a little bit more frequently. And then lastly, a special provision from the CARES Act was just the way 401k and IRA withdrawals are penalized. Traditionally or in the past, if you were under age 59 and a half, and unless there was some extra circumstance that was allowed for, you would pay a 10% penalty on early withdrawal from an IRA or 401k. Now, the money, if you if you take money now from an IRA or 401k, and if you do so before 59 and a half, it's still fully taxable like it would have been in any other year, but you don't have to pay that 10% penalty. That's a special restriction or a special provision, actually, that's only in place this year. On top of that, the income taxes that are due on that withdrawal those can be spread out over the next three years. And you can withdraw up to $100,000 from these accounts without having to pay that 10% penalty. So this isn't something I recommend that you do. This shouldn't be the first option. But if needed, those funds up to $100,000, assuming that you have that much in your IRA and your 401k, is available to you. One quick point with this. Some people say, well, James, my income is much lower this year. Wouldn't this be a great year, even if I don't need the funds, to take them out so I don't pay much in taxes? And by the way, the 10% penalty is waived. Well, if that's the case, I'll go back to tax planning option number four of maybe a Roth conversion makes a whole lot more sense. If your income is much lower this year and you're thinking about taking a withdrawal from that so that you can get money out of an IRA and do so in a lower tax bracket, well, if you don't need the funds, consider Roth conversion. Take those funds and instead of just taking them out as cash and reinvesting them so that all future growth is taxable, do a conversion so that money can get into your Roth IRA. There's no 10% penalty on a conversion. And then let that money continue growing, but it's doing so in a tax-free way and won't ever be taxable again. So just something to think about. Again, as you're listening to this, I know that we covered a lot of material. If you want to have a quick downloadable, the the six hidden tax savings opportunities that are opened up by the new tax rules from 2017, the new tax plan then, as well as the SECURE Act that passed at the end of last year, go to the Ready for Retirement webpage at readyforretirement.co. Click on this podcast episode and in the show notes, I will have a downloadable for you that you can just get quick and easy access to this that summarizes everything that we talked about today. So that is everything I got for today. Thank you so much as always for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. 
And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.